the first thing we need to recognize is that it's our brains that run what we think and what we do 24-7. And our brains are run by habits. But the challenge we face is, is that because of the conditions of the VUCA world, the volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, plugged into the post-pandemic world, it's harder than ever to build and sustain habits that help us to be at our best. In other words, it's easier than ever to practice things like beating ourselves up, like procrastinating, like worrying, like getting stressed, like not sleeping properly, like not eating properly, like not exercising properly. It's easier than ever to practice those things and get good at them. And welcome to the Biology of Business. I'm Kate Marchand, and today we have the absolute pleasure of being joined again by habit mechanic author John Finn. Hello, John. Hey, Kate. How are you doing? I'm very, very well, thank you. I'm very impressed that we're talking whilst you're stood on a treadmill, and your shoulders are still. Yeah, because I'm leaning on my desk. Yeah, I'm on a workstation treadmill. So your legs are moving. No, not yet. But I'll, let me see. I'm going to get up to maybe two miles an hour. Can you talk and walk? Talk and walk, yes, yeah, 2.4 miles an hour, that's about. There we go. And I've got my cup of tea ready because we're going to talk all about chapter one in the habit mechanic and how you can take tiny empowering actions to improve yourself. Yes, exactly. And for your clients as well, definitely. So chapter one is called a manual, chapter one of your book, which is like a manual, sorry, it's called a quick start. And it's a quick start to improving how you behave and what your habits are. Can you just describe what the concept was behind needing to put a quick start at the very beginning of book a book? Because so often the tips and tricks are at the final pages of a book rather than at the start. Yeah, and it's the thing we got told by multiple professional editors, don't start the book with this. Yeah, it's been the number one feature. People tell us what they love about the book. Because... The heart of our approach is doing things differently. It isn't knowing things. So we wanted to give people something really simple and practical to get going with. The T plan, and we'll unpack that, is our, yeah, it's super simple, but it took a long time to make it that simple. Mm. It's based on really complex science around why we do what we do and how we can make it easier for ourselves to make tiny little changes. But yeah, so we wanted to, Pick the book off with something simple and practical that people could be doing in the background as they were learning more about the other 30 plus tools that are in the book and immediately start their journey to becoming a habit mechanic. Mm-hmm. And so the premise of the, the book, John, is about learning to utilize human behavior rather than denying how humans behave and we behave as individuals. It's recognizing how we behave and then performing in accordance with that rather than trying to resist human behavior that's what I took from it yeah so I guess that for many people we've been conditioned to think of behavior as something that's bad it's something that we do at school and we get in trouble for but if we take a step back from that with my three psychology related degrees I'm including my PhD behavior is actually everything that we think and do as humans so in psychology a thought is a behavior So when we say behavior, it's just what we think and what we do. And what we now know in 2023 that we didn't know, this is quite new insight, thanks to the fantastic work of people like Daniel Kahneman, 
is that most of what we think and do is automatic or semi-automatic. In other words, it's mindless behavior. Mm-hmm. So most of what we're thinking and doing right now is mindless. We have a tiny bit of consciousness. Sometimes if we're lucky, it's 2%, but sometimes it's 0%. We're just running on instinct. And I can demonstrate to you very quickly how mindless and habitual we are and how much we don't really think. If I just say to you, don't think of a white elephant. And you don't have to even think about consciously that idea. It's already in your brain. That's how automatic our thinking is. Mm -hmm. So we're running ourselves, the people that we want to help, our teams, our organizations, our family unit are running on mindless subconscious behaviors. So the way I think about it is that the sort of, if we want to help ourselves and others to do better, if we go back to first principle thinking, the first thing we need to recognize is that it's our brains that run what we think and what we do 24-7, and our brains are run by habits. But the challenge we face is, is that because of the conditions of the VUCA world, the volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, plugged into the post-pandemic world, it's harder than ever to build and sustain habits that help us to be at our best. In other words, it's easier than ever to practice things like beating ourselves up, like procrastinating, like worrying, like getting stressed, like not sleeping properly, like not eating properly, like not exercising properly. It's easier than ever to practice those things and get good at them. Not intentionally. I don't think anyone woke up today and said, right, today I'm going to get better at beating myself up. Mm-hmm. But many, many people have because they're in the habit of doing that and they're mindlessly practicing doing that thing. So, and, and that's new insight. No one's really thought of it like that before because we haven't i think the thing to recognize is that we've only been able to look inside human brains for about 20 25 years and brains are the most complex thing in the known universe so it's taken quite a while to make sense of actually of what's going on but i think we've got a really good gist sense now of how brains work and we can use those insights to help ourselves and to help our clients and our people and our teams to do better are there some advantages at times to being able to go to this mindless space? And I'm asking this quite specifically because I know this is what I do. I swim. And if I've got a long swim, I know. I just let my head go. I have to let my head go. Otherwise, the whole swim, if I'm doing a long swim, the whole swim is utterly dull if I think about it. So I don't. I just, I don't know where I go off to. But I'm guessing if I wanted to be a lot faster, I should be thinking a lot more about my technique than I probably do. But I, when, sometimes when there's a long a long run might be something similar where you just let your head go because if you think about it, you overthink it and it can get really dull. Yeah, so the way that we and remember, most of what we're doing most of the time is mindless. Mm. So sometimes everything we're doing is mindless. So we're not in danger of being too conscious, you know. It's yes. not possible. Where that number comes from, the, the 98%, essentially for every... 50 processes running in your brain, 49 are automatic. That's where that's driven from. And it comes from a George Lakoff professor at Berkeley. That's, he, he's driven that thinking. But yeah, and the way we think of the brain function is it's a bit like a battery and it operates in three states. You've got recharge state, which can be sleep or non-sleep. You've got medium charge where you can do your simple mindless type tasks. And you've got the high charge state where you're doing focused, clever problem-solving work. It's easier than ever to be always on, to be sort of in that semi-conscious state of doing busy, 
mindless type work. And you talked about when you go for your swim, you almost mm. go to like a recharge state. I do that every morning when I go for a, almost like a mindless run mm. where things just emerge into my brain. And, mm. and the key is, and we talk about this in chapter 25 in the book, is getting a good balance between those three states. Mm. And what we're seeing with the, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about things like chat, GPT in the news in the, in the last few weeks. That kind of artificial intelligence is really good at doing medium charge work, mm-hmm. doing their busy habitual work. And some companies are working out how to use that tech to free up their people so they can do more high charge work. But because of the conditions of the world where it's easier than ever to build unhelpful habits and essentially it's easier than ever to sabotage your brain function to get your brain working less well, mm-hmm. it's harder than ever to do the clever, focused, high-charge work. Um, so the key for preserving humanity and not letting the bots to overtake is to make sure that we build habits that allow us every day, or certainly on work days, to be doing our clever, focused, high-charge work, and we work out how to use the artificial intelligence to do more of our medium-charge work. So we then have to... You mentioned that we're in no danger, in no danger of becoming too conscious and certainly you talk about improving our self-awareness then of what mode we are in and our self-awareness of how we are behaving and how we are choosing to think. Yeah, so I would call that intelligent self-watching. So so we can, although this most people are probably just listening to this, Kate and I can actually see each other. And although we're at different ends of the country, we can see each other quite clearly, almost in 2020 vision. Because that's what our brains are designed to do. They're designed to look at the external world and look out for threats and problems. And when there are no threats or problems, we want to do fun, enjoyable, short-term gratification things. But what our brain architecture is not very good at is looking at ourselves and understanding ourselves at that sort of emotional level. So you might have a, a rumble in your tummy, for example, you don't know, am I angry? Am I upset? Mm-hmm. Am I hungry? Am I tired? Do I just have an upset tummy? We're just not very good at thinking about ourselves in that way. And we didn't really need to use, we didn't used to need to be really because we had jobs where we worked in factories and we learned our trades in our teens, maybe or our early 20s. And once we'd learned our job, then we didn't have to learn anything new really. We did nine to five jobs. There were no emails. We didn't take any work home with us. Now we live in a world where the only constant is change. Mm-hmm. And whatever we're good at today that are helping us to be at our best, the chances are those same things will be exact, the same exact things that we need to do to be at our best in six months' time or in 12 months' time because the rules will have changed a bit. It might be a bit harder to sleep properly, a bit harder to eat properly. The, the software that we're using for our accountancy or the tools that we're using to help our patients to, to be at their best might have changed and the science might have changed a bit. So we know that we need to keep working on ourselves and we need to keep on top of these unhelpful habits. So the first step to doing that is more intelligent self-watching. And then once we recognize something that we'd like to improve, we can then do an intelligent plan. And the T plan is like a mini version of that process of intelligent self-watching and intelligent planning. So we have some what I'd call in-depth habit metric tools in the book. We have loads of those in the book, in fact, which you can use to analyze your own habits, to analyze other people's habits. 
the T plan is the simplest version of that. So the first question of the T plan is three simple questions. The first question is, how well did you do your best to be your best and achieve your goals yesterday or so far today? If yesterday is too far long ago to remember, you can give yourself a score out of 10. 10 would mean you were perfect. One would mean that you failed. And if you look in the book, there's a visual. So where are you on the scale? Typically, we don't think of ourselves like this. We think about, I had a great day or I had a rubbish day. So already, we're switching on the conscious part of our brain, our prefrontal cortex, and we're making our, ourselves think about ourselves in a more intelligent way. So you, so you could write down the score. How well did you do your best to be your best and achieve your goals yesterday? Or if that's too far back to remember, so far today, give yourself a score out of 10. It's a lot of personal responsibility or ownership in answering that question because it's not allowing yourself to blame external factors on how your day was yesterday. It's your ownership, how you were yesterday, regardless of the external. Exactly. And this is the thing, isn't it? It's the uncomfortable truth. We have more control over our own health, our own happiness, our own performance than anybody else does. And it's not our fault if we didn't or if we didn't previously understand that because we're just not wired to think of it like that. But it's the truth, it's the reality. If you if you are not managing what you eat, you're not managing, you know, what, what you put into your body, if you're not managing your exercise properly, your sleep properly, your brain isn't going to work properly. And therefore your chance of doing anything well isn't isn't going to be successful. So that's the whole backbone of becoming a habit mechanic. It's learning about your current habits, both your destructive habits and the habits that are your super habits and the new habits that could be your super habits. And it's going on a journey where the first question is, how well am I doing my best to be at my best? And learning how to use insights from neuroscience and behavioral science to start building more and more helpful habits. And once you understand how to do that for yourself, you can use those same insights to help your clients to do that and I phraseology of the question is I'm sure very purposefully and thoughtfully designed John and it's very very simple really quite simple in terms of the, the concept and what it's asking of yourself I'm really enjoying that there's absolutely no just repeating what I said really room for abdication of responsibility for your day and how your day was yeah, and that's purposeful because, again, that's the starting point. If I don't do my best to be at my best, mm-hmm. how can I expect anyone else to help me? Yeah. And, yeah, personal accountability for health, happiness, and performance is essential if we really want to make it happen because we have more control over it. And it goes, you know, another simple example here is that we, we've talked about this, these mindless processes that are on all the time. Most people are not aware that they're thinking all the time and they're talking to themselves all the time. And if I just say now, notice that you're talking to yourself all the time. And if you don't think you're talking to yourself all the time, notice how you're saying to yourself, I'm not speaking to myself. I'm not a crazy person. It's there all the time. We have an immense amount of control over it. So we can start to control how we think, which means we can start to control our emotions, which means we can start to control our behavior, what we think and what we do. And we get good at what what we practice ultimately. So we can start to build new habits that make our life easier. But the first question is, how well did I do my best to be at my best? Regardless of external factors, because even if something externally did 
common great term or a, t- a tornado in your life yesterday it's still how well you were in that situation yeah and if you take a simple example let's just say the kids are being particularly bad at home at the moment and they're waking you up in the middle of the night that's an external factor you can't control but there's a multitude of things that you can control to give yourself a better chance of getting a good night's sleep and if you go to chapter 19 in the book we list about i think it's like 18 things that you can be doing so if you're not doing all those things if you're not working on on them then you're not doing your best to be at your best and we can build better habits in all these areas do we have a tendency therefore because with that question, again, it's such a strong question in terms of how you view, look at yourself, take responsibility for yourself, take responsibility for how yesterday went. And there is this opportunity to be highly distracted and unfocused at the moment. So that question brings you back to your focus on how you behaved or and how you performed and how you focused on your results. But it also removes the opportunity for labeling because we're so in a society where people are labeled and you're giving labels at school that you're good at maths or you're dyslexic or whatever we're given labels at a very very young age that stick with us and that question again doesn't allow space for a label to be determining the outcome it's your choice what the outcome was yesterday yeah and the, you know the labeling is problematic and we're seeing an increase in that even in in adults with things like adult ADHD etc yeah, I got, you know, I've been working this field for over 20 years now and everything that we say, you know, the Haben Mechanic book, which I might point out is the audiobook's free in the Haben Mechanic University app. So I keep talking about these chapters. If you want it, you can listen to that for free. It's in the Haben Mechanic University app, which is in the App Store and in the, uh, the Google Play Store. In the show notes. So the, I, you know, a great example is I, I, I saw that many kids, for example, because we work in sport, in education, in business, Many kids in the schools we were working at, they were getting doing these dyslexia tests. And I remember at school, they, were, they wanted to, me to do a dyslexia test. And I couldn't be bothered, to be honest. I was like, yeah, whatever. I, you know, it's a bit too late now kind of thing. But the kids would get diagnosed with dyslexia. And then you say, okay, well, what, 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 what are you going to get now? Extra hour in exam, extra half hour in exam. Oh, well, what good is that? You know, I want some new skills to allow me to build some new habits to allow me to actually pay attention in a different way. Because dyslexia is about attentional style and it's about working memory, short-term memory, et cetera. They're all things that we can learn to do better. We talk about the 10 intelligence factors in chapter five of the book, for example. But dis- those labels are destructive because they create what, what Carol Dweck would call a fixed mindset. And we know there are nine factors that drive everything that we think and do. We call them the nine action factors, which is in chapter 18 of the book. The first factor that we always talk about is mindset. We call it the habit mechanic mindset. If you don't believe you can learn to do something differently, then you'll never be able to do it. So that's why we always start our programs. And that's why the first sections of the book are all about how our brain actually works and about learning and about how we change and how we can change ourselves. So yeah, Unfortunately, and it's the same as psychometrics, you know, for me, I just wrote an article for Forbes about this and some very preeminent neuroscientists talk about psychometrics as as being about as predictive as horoscopes. You know, the roots of most psychometrics, well, the roots of all psychometrics are at least 100 years old. They were designed before we even could look inside in brains in real time. 
we, we couldn't do that until about 75 years after the roots of psychometrics were, were designed. So they're, they're, they're predictive, they're deterministic, they're destructive because they give us this label, which is, which creates a helplessness. So we have to help people to understand how their brain actually works. So yeah, in that question, although it's very simple, it's taken a long time to make so powerful in so few words. And I think that's the essence of everything that you talk about is trying to give very practical, useful tools to change or to play yourself the best you can be rather than just theorizing it's right never mind anything else what we're practically going to do or what are the practical tools that you might choose to implement to get a result for yourself yeah because we get good at what we practice and that's so again i did my did my undergraduate in sports science did my master's in sports psychology did my phd in sort of talent development emotional regulation etc and i came out of those programs with the understanding based on the experts that if you could get people to know what they needed to do to be at their best job done got into the field this doesn't work people don't do what they know they should do people know they should walk 10,000 steps a day and eat five portions of fruit and veg the nhs is spending half of its but it's the nhs is spending half of its annual budget treating diseases that emerge because people don't do those things so i knew we had to take a different approach but this is what all the other programs that tell you will change your life, all the other coaching approaches, they're all based on more knowing. We don't do what we know we should do. So we have to move people on from knowing to doing to habit. That's the key. So for me, the gold standard of any, and this is what I teach, so we, we train people to become certified habit mechanic coaches. The gold standard of any coaching session, it finishes with a habit building plan which we have, you see those in our book, so that you give the person you're trying to help the best chance of actually putting the things that they've agreed is a good idea for them to be doing differently into practice and securing a new habit. So that is the key. And I'm sure anybody that's tried to teach a child to brush their own teeth when they're very small, has come up against all sorts of easy wins and lots of resistance and tantrums and all kinds of things where you're just trying to instill a habit, a good habit in somebody else for their benefit. So I'm guessing this process of going through improving your habits, you also have some moments where you are the three-year-old with the toothbrush, you will do anything and then brush their teeth at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. And that's why you've got to activate as many of the nine action factors as possible. And that's what the habit building plan does. So it's a unique proprietary process that we've created so that you're covering off as many of the potential barriers as possible. We also have a, an analysis tool called How Hugh Can Stop You. Hugh is horribly unhelpful emotions, a character that runs the limbic regions of your brain in our model. So if you recognize what those are before they, they happen, you've got a better chance. So yeah, and this is all part of the journey of being more self-aware and self-watching and then going on that habit mechanic journey and one step at a time building up your habit mechanic intelligence and i think for physiotherapists this is such an obvious supercharger to the products that you're already selling your clients because i know you know i've i i ruptured one of my quad muscles when i was about 17 i've had a lot of physiotherapy 
And then some very nice person at my university decided to dislocate my ankle playing a friendly football game. So I've had that as well. So I ruptured all the ligaments in my ankle. So I've had a lot of physio and I, and I know the most difficult thing isn't knowing the exercise. Also I've worked in professional sport, you know, I've seen that every day in and day out, the guy's doing rehab or not doing rehab in many cases. The most difficult thing is putting the rehab into practice. And I know that if I'd have had habit building plans, I would have had a much better chance of actually putting the rehab into practice, getting more benefit out of the money I was paying to my physio and thinking much more highly of, of them. So for me, this is just a beautiful plug-in to supercharge everything that physios are trying to do. Now, I can't remember if it's in a podcast or in the chapter that went out and listened to or read you speak. It was about CBT, because obviously that's something that is very prevalent. And again, there's many physiotherapists involved in the delivery of CBT programs. What are your views on CBT? CBT is, I mean, this is a really interesting study that I saw. I came across it. It was on the front page of a broadsheet newspaper. It was either the Financial Times or maybe the Telegraph or the Times. It was in January and it was written by the science editor. So it was based on a, a peer review published piece, piece of research with a lot of data. The study was about people with depression and some different interventions to, to try and help these people with depression. There, there were two core interventions. One was traditional CBT therapy. So people with depression were doing a, a typical CBT type intervention. Other people were simply tasked with doing something nice for other people each day. Go to, to your service. Go to the neighbor and do something nice for the neighbor. The intervention with significantly more positive impact was the latter, doing something nice for other people. Mike, so I looked at the study, my conclusion would be because those people in that part of the intervention were actually doing something different and therefore they were working out the, the circuits in their brain connected to doing something nice. Those in the CBT intervention were just learning more about what might be quite helpful to do to manage their depression better. So they were moving from, they were going from maybe some more knowledge and a few skills but not putting anything into practice. So we talk about knowledge to skill to habit. They're doing knowledge, maybe a few skills. Whereas the guys in the helping others doing something nice for others were doing knowledge skill and then the habit because they were doing something differently. So for me, CBT is great foundation and it's the most logical model I've seen for changing behavior, but it falls short because it does. it's not plugged into behavioral science model, whereas our approach is. So our approach goes the full bandwidth of knowledge to skill to habit. So, you know, most my background, sports psychology, most sports psychology is based in CBT. You know, it's interesting. I was speaking to someone the other day and uh, they came across the habit mechanic as the book, as they were on the wait list for the premium NHS mental health service. I think it's called something like Silverline or something like that, where you get access to the NHS's premium sort of digital platform and you get access to a to a psychologist essentially where you get online sessions this lady said reading the habit mechanic had more impact on her behavior than the nhs platform just reading the book because it's designed to help you to do things differently not know more information this is the challenge we face is that in chapter four in the book i talk about roger bannister 
I might, I might use this story in the last podcast that we did together, but I'll say it again because it's a good story. So in, the, I think, 1948, Roger Bannister was the first person to run the sub-four-minute mile. A lot of people know that this the same time he was, he was studying to be a medical doctor at Oxford University. What many people don't know is that he was also a research scholar. So his research was about the role of oxygen in distance running. And he was getting people into the physiology lab to measure their, what we would call as as scientists, peripheral, their physiological peripheral indices, their heart rate, their gas exchange, et cetera. And the technologies he was using to do that with a familiar with sort of what we now see in modern labs, they're a bit snazzier now and a bit more accurate, but he had the rudimentary basic. And he used the data from those studies to inform the way he was training to run the mile and actually his physical running action. We had that technology available from about the 1930s before World War II. So we've been able to look inside the human body, if you like, in that level of detail and measure it in that level of detail since about the 1930s. We've only been able to look inside human brains in real time for about the last 20, 25 years. So the physiological sciences, according to my math, which might be slightly out, but they're about 70 years ahead of the psychological sciences. And it wasn't too long ago that that physicians were literally putting ice picks into people's brains and rooting around a little bit to try and cure some what was deemed to be a psychological problem. That was standard practice until not too long ago. So it's not any, it's not CBT therapist's fault or the people that designed that, that, that methodology. What I'm saying, there's a new, there's a better way to do it. You know, any theory, I, I think of scientific theories like models of cars, they're all built on, you know, the next model will be a bit better and a bit snazzier. But it's time now to, to, to use a new supercharged approach that is based on both cutting-edge neuroscience, that is based on behavioral science, that does take the best practices. So, you know, a lot of the tools that we train people, they're based on CBT principles, but then we plug them into the behavioral science. So we supercharge people's ability to actually put them into practice, just like the daily tea plan. So the T for the T was asking yourself that question. Well, the first step of the tea plan is asking yourself that question about how well you did your personal review of yourself yesterday. What's the, the next step? So step two is the T. It's the tiny empowering action. So it's about, so you are wherever you are on the continuum. You may have done great yesterday, so you give yourself an eight. You may have done really poor, so you give yourself a two. It doesn't matter where you are. You then use the T, the tiny empowering action, to give you to do one tiny thing that's going to give you, you a better chance of doing something differently. So it might be I'm only going to check the news once today. It might be I'm going to go for a five-minute walk at lunchtime. It might be I'm going to write a, a positive written reflection at the end of the day. It might be I'm going to have a portion of fruit with my breakfast. So it's one tiny little thing that you're going to do. It's going to give you a better chance of being at your best today. So you're setting yourself up to succeed for the day. You're doing something that's going to give you a setup for success. Yeah, so it's giving you, uh, I'll come back to the whys in a second. So if that's okay. So third question is why. Mm. Why is doing that going to help me? Yeah. So 
if it's only checking the news once today, it might be, well, I'll be, if I only check the news once today, I'll be more focused, more productive, be able to do more clever work, get to finish work on time, feel better about myself, get to spend more time with the family, get to bed on time, wake up feeling more refreshed tomorrow. So doing that one tiny thing activates all this other helpful behavior. If I go for a a five-minute walk at lunchtime, I'll be more focused in the afternoon, more productive. I'll feel better about myself, get to finish work on time and so on. So just doing that one tiny thing can activate all this other positive behavior. And then we can even connect it to our bigger long-term goals. We can do that in as little as two minutes. And you know, you could easily plug that into doing your rehab exercises for today. So, so today, should the tiny empowering action be some the same thing that you're repeating until it has become a habit? So I'm going to walk for five minutes at lunchtime. Should that be something that you you aim to stick with until it's become a habit? Or are you, I said, I'm going to walk for five minutes at lunchtime. Tomorrow I'm going to make sure I have an apple for breakfast. Are you varying the habit or are you trying to stick with the same thing? So you've rinsed it. Yeah. Well, the good news is we foresaw questions like this. And in the chapter one, there's a big frequently asked questions section. But how long does it take to build a habit is a question people often ask. And we hear answers like it's 21 days. That's a nonsense. Habits are highly complex. And the only concrete rule we can really understand about brain function in this in relation to this is that we get good at what we practice. So if you practice a habit for the next 21 days or a thing for the next 21 days but then 23 days in something derails that behavior and you start practicing something else and you unravel that habit some habits you want to adopt might have been something that you've already practiced really well many years ago so you've already got a lot of neural architecture for that so that's going to be easier to re-establish that that behavior than something that you've never practiced something that you think you've never practiced might actually be quite closely connected to something that you are already, you know, quite good at. So they're very, very complicated. So the the key thing is that we get good at what we practice. So it seems quite sensible that once you find a T that's, that's really helpful for you, because you might juggle in the first instance, you might try one thing one day and think that didn't really help me. So I'm going to try something else. When you find, once you find something that's helping you stick with it until you find it's a habit, but Nothing in our approach is prescriptive. It's just a toolkit. And the key to learning what works best for you is to try things out. So becoming a habit mechanic, it's like you're going on a journey and I'm still on the journey and I will be until the day that I die. But I know that if I'm working towards being at my best and I'm trying to be at my best, I've got a much better chance of doing that. doesn't mean I'll be perfect all the time. It means that I'm going to be learning about myself what helps me to be at my best, what stops me from being at my best. And asking myself that simple question every day, how well did I do my best to be at my best, triggers that. So the T plan that I use, and I, if you go to the Happen Mechanic University app, people post these every day. You can see people sharing. People are generous enough to share what they're doing. The one that I use most often is to create a willpower story, which is a, a sort of a sophisticated timeline of the day which I unpack in chapter 25 of the book, which you can listen to for free in the Mechanic University app. And I, that's, that's key for me. I know that if I do that, if I timeline the day, I've got the best chance of being at my best. But I've learned that over many years. How do you tie, so your willpower story, your timeline for the day, 
Well, they very clearly tie to what your bigger goals are. So I don't know how you do goal setting, whether you set an annual goal, nice day goal, whatever. But you're, that something like that can very, very clearly tie to what your longer term goal is or what the result is that you want from the week. How important is it that people have clarity over their longer term goals and that what, what's the value of the goal setting and then tying their T plan to their longer term goals? Because a lot of people are quite vague about what it is actually even trying to achieve. Yeah, it's really important. So we have a tool called the FAM Story Iceberg, which is in chapter 16 of the book, which is our intelligent goal setting tool. Goals are really powerful because they direct your energies. So motivation in in one definition is direction and intensity of effort. Goals give you that. But there's a really bad way to set goals and there's a really intelligent way to set goals. The FAM Story Iceberg is a really intelligent way to set goals. And I hear that time and again from very seasoned people saying, I've been setting goals for a long time and this is just a much better way to do it. So yeah, absolutely. It's more helpful to understand why you want to be working on these things today. And we ask that question in the T plan notice, why? But becoming a mechanic is a jigsaw puzzle. and We can't do everything at the same time. So that's why we start with the, the daily T plan and we build up and then we introduce the fam. The, the, the fam story iceberg, that's the metaphor of our journey. So the top of the iceberg is the distant future. The bottom is today, which is ultimately about our habits. And the fam story iceberg centers around a few key questions. One is, what do I want to have and achieve in the distant future? In order to have and achieve that stuff in the distant future, what does it mean I need to be doing and achieving in the next one to four years? What does that mean for the next 12 months? What does that mean for this month? What does that mean for this week? What does that mean for today? And every tool in the habit mechanic approach is either a daily tool, a weekly tool, or a monthly slash bi-monthly tool. So we use that calendar structure to help people and guide people. So yeah, the bottom of the iceberg is the T plan, is the willpower story. And you're going to supercharge those things by activating your personal motivation. Also, personal motivation is one of the nine action factors. Super. Thank you. So every day, taking two minutes to reflect on how you performed yesterday, taking the time to come up with the tiny, empowering action for the day and giving yourself permission that that might be played around with for a period of time until you settle on something that seems to work for you and then tying it to a why so that there's a real motivation and connection to to purpose. That's it. So all these tools are about spending minutes to save hours. That's the key thing. And they're not just for you. They're designed to, once you know how to use them, you can use them to help other people, whether it's your team or your clients. And that's why we train people to become certified habit mechanic coaches so that they really understand how to use this toolkit to help other people and to add value to their, to their, to their already, I'm sure, strong value proposition that they've got. Because ultimately for me, physiotherapists are really selling habits. If they're very good at what they're doing, they're selling habits. And we now, well, I think the the habit mechanic approach is the premium way to to make it easy for your people to build better habits. I don't I don't know of another approach like this. Because pop psychology's done a really bad job on habits, for example. It talks about their forty percent to sixty percent of what we do. They're not. Then most of what we're doing most of the time. I'm pretty sure for most physiotherapists, the biggest 
or one of the biggest bug bearers for them is clients coming back for session two and they ask them, have you done the rehab work? And they go, well, you know, sort of uh, knowing full well when they look at the area they're trying to rehab, they haven't done the work, you know. So, but then we haven't done the work and have to own not having done the work to help the person do the work. Yeah, and maybe before now we didn't really know how to do it, but now there's no excuse because you can use a habit mechanic approach. Wonderful. Thank you very much, John. I really appreciate how simple you're making it for us to own our behaviour and perform to our best in minutes a day rather than being distracted and blind and mindless in what we're doing. No, well, the key is is to put something into practice so you can get access to the, the audiobook for free in the app. Also, you can see in real time in the app right now today people posting their tea plans so you can see examples of what, what other people are doing. So and it's also your chapter one on the book. So sounds easy to do, but the key is, is to do it and practice it. And the more you practice it, the more you're going to learn about yourself. And the more you learn about yourself, the easier it's going to be to destroy your destructive habits and build new super habits. And then you can start to help others to do that as well. Thank you very much for your time, John.